Hello and welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series especially for tourism operators and industry professionals. I'm Tom Wooten and I'll be your host for today's episode. Talking Tourism is an initiative of Tourism Industry Council Tasmania, or the TICT, the peak industry body for the tourism industry in this beautiful state of Tasmania. If you are a regular listener to Talking Tourism, welcome back. If you're a first-time listener and enjoy today's episode, remember there are now more than 100 episodes of Talking Tourism Conversations available from wherever you access your podcasts, or you can simply stream them from the TICT website at tict.com.au. We are recording this podcast today on the lands of the Palawa and Pakana, and TICT offers its respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people, their elders, past and present, for their enduring care and management of these islands. Today's episode is brought to you by our partner, the Department of State Growth. The Department of State Growth brings together four interrelated divisions developing a strategic approach that drives economic growth and supports that community, industry and business in the creation of jobs and opportunities for Tasmanians. Thanks to the Department of State Growth for their generous support of TICT and for helping to make this episode of Talking Tourism possible. Now, let's get into today's conversation with my old mate from the northwest, Jessica Richmond, <laughs> CEO at Local Carbon and partner at Ellis Richmond. G'day, Jess. Hey, Tom. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Local Carbon and Ellis Richmond are Tasmanian-based consultancies specialising in carbon accounting and advising businesses on carbon accounting opportunities. Jess's background is in commercial law in the energy and resources sector with strong senior management experience in the mining industry. She has a strong understanding of the requirements of industrial operations balanced with an understanding of community expectations and the need to manage both effectively for the benefit of all stakeholders. Does that sound about right, Jess? Sounds yeah. somewhat about right, yeah. Okay. <laughs> right, let's jump straight into the um, uh, complex and not at all intimidating uh, subject of carbon accounting. So we should start, I think, by doing a quick 101 on carbon accounting. What is it mm-hmm. and why is it important in the context of a goal that we have mm-hmm. uh, for a carbon neutral Tasmanian tourism industry by 2030? Totally. Yeah, I think a good way to think about this is, you know, why are we on this carbon neutral pathway? Why does a business, you know, want to do the right thing? That's pretty much settled. And a lot of businesses are still going, you know what, it is so complicated to work out what is the best decision that's going to have the biggest impact, you know, in my community or environmentally. And if you think of just like a cafe, what what type of disposable cup should I use? Where should my beans come from? What's the run-on effect? Mm-hmm. And the reason that's so difficult is because we're not all carbon accounting properly. So carbon accounting is really similar to financial accounting. We're really just trying to understand what is the carbon impact of my business. And we look at that in three categories. First, what can I can control? Basically, how much fuel do I use? Second, how much electricity do I consume? And like, that's easy enough. Mm -hmm. That's what a lot of businesses do. And now the global community is going, right, let's get into that third category. And that third category is what we call scope three. And that's Every time I make a business decision, I'm buying goods or services, we say, well, you can't control it, but you actually are influencing it. And so therefore, the carbon emissions associated with what you're buying, whether it's the coffee cup or, you know, rails from Bunnings, whatever it might be, the emissions associated with that come into your bubble. 
Great. So now to, as a layman that I am, to repeat that back to you and hopefully for the benefit <laughs> of our listeners, we have scope one, yep. which is your sort of waste in your business. Scope one is your really more around your fuel. Fuel, okay. Scope two is electricity. Yep. And then scope three is your downstream supply chain and, and like how they're doing things. So am I right in saying <laughs> that a lot of businesses uh, that you're working with here in Tasmania are kind of sitting kind of pretty with scope one and two? Totally. And this is the thing we say to lots of businesses, you know, if you're in Tassie, what an advantage. You know, you're already on largely green electricity. Yep. And when it comes to, you know, getting your fuel consumption down, if we have the infrastructure, if the business case stacks up and, you know, that's happening really quickly, mm-hmm. we will move to EVs. So if you stop there, it's kind of like gold star. <laughs> what else are you going to do? Tick, tick, you know, yeah, yeah. that's that's it. And, and it's what gives like it's what really sort of underlines the opportunity here for Tasmania with this twenty thirty goal yeah. that we're already that far ahead because we're using totally. And and I think we have got a really sophisticated community now yep. who are as the ones we're trying to attract to Tassie. Right? They're mm-hmm. climate conscious. They want to travel light. They want to have a really positive impact. And they're kind of going, yeah, it's amazing you're on green electricity. Like yeah. that's certainly contributing to the, the whole, you know, hearts and minds of what it is to come to Tassie. Mm-hmm. It's a really positive thing. But we're also starting to see a really conscious community going, yep, okay, and then what else? If I am a restaurant and I am selling food, what's the emissions, emissions sorry, associated with that food? Yep. Where did the lamb come from? And we have a restaurant who might be going, well, I've got to talk to the bloody butcher. And then the butcher's going, well, I've got to talk to three farmers. And then the farmer's going, well, I'd have to change some on-farm practices. And, oh, that's so complicated. What we do is try and resolve that so that we actually make really data-driven decisions. We help coordinate all of that chain so that the restaurant has an amazing story to tell down the whole path. This is the butcher I'm working with. Here's old mate out the back of Rihanna making my meat. I maybe as a consumer can go into that restaurant and now whether I'm QR coding or maybe there's some amazing experience where actually the farm hand that's now sequestering carbon is coming in for some kind of dining experience. You yep. know, we've heard so much about how those experiences need to be so special and actually part of creating that in a really high impact way is understand that supply chain, work with them. Yep. So obviously I'm being tongue-in-cheek talking about the... Uh, uh, Completely unintimidating subject of carbon accounting, but obviously for a lot of people, this will be seen. You hear the words carbon accounting and probably switch off, but the way you've explained that and the idea that perhaps uh, there is a way that people can look at that scope three stuff, that supply chain stuff and how they can improve things, this is where you guys can help. And indeed, you've been engaged to help by the TICT and the Tasmanian government to undertake an important carbon accounting pilot project. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Yeah, it's it's really exciting because when people are doing something new, they want to see case studies or examples because we all talk about, oh, this is how easy everything is and reality is it's not. So this has been really great. 30 companies um, in the tourism industry in Tassie from all around the state are participating, everyone from restaurants, hotels, tour operators, uh, events, And really that's just been a way for us to say, here is your carbon accountant and we use accountants and analysts to to do this work. This is the data we need to give you a full picture and now we're moving into this stage as we finish most of those assessments off to say, here are all the data-driven findings. We can actually use data when we have that whole chain involved to go, here's how you could reduce. This is what the opportunity could be. And to give you an idea of this pilot and 
across the 30 that are in, I think we're up to close to 7,500 individual transactions that have been reviewed and assessed as to where they sit in a category. And there's around 4,000 individual companies that we would like to go and ask them for their primary data to help that group of 30 really know who they've got an opportunity to work with. Maybe they can't go and work with Bunnings tomorrow, but maybe they can work with a Tassie supermarket or provider. So how do we connect you all up? That's what local carbon is. And am I right in saying, you take it a step further than that, it's not just about reaching out to these guys and saying you guys, you know, down the supply chain could do better. You kind of offer support around that piece as well, don't you? 100%. The crazy thing is, you know, a lot of the time we're being told, you know, carbon accounting can be so easy. Let's set up a carbon calculator. Let's get our pie graph. Said no one ever. <laughs> said no one ever. It's not. It's not. It's like when we go and do, you know, some complicated tax assessment or some financial accounting, we don't go to a DIY calculator and hope that that's good enough. Yep. And so, and I'm not a numbers person, believe it or not, which is <laughs> ironic given I'm in carbon accounting. But To me, it's like, why would I, if I'm running a business and I know that the world needs to provide really accurate data for us to make informed decisions, that has to happen. Globally, we're talking about how carbon accounting needs to become part of what we do. Many of these operators have a company to run. Mm. It's not even an expectation that you go and associate yourself with the GHG protocol and underscan scope one, two, and three, and do that and reach out to a thousand suppliers and coordinate that. That's insanity. What local carbon does is say, right, we're entering into this world. Use your own accountant to do carbon accounting. Mm -hmm. If they help you with the budget and if they do financial accounting, they have the capability, they have the skills to do carbon accounting. We help them become carbon accountants so that they already have most of your data. They can help you. This just becomes normal. Normal. You don't have to take it on yourself. And that's really where we see the world going. Yep. And there's obviously also strength in doing this as a group. So this this uh, pilot of 30 businesses, when you can go to a supplier that supplies to these 30 businesses and say, right, we're not talking about one business that would like to see you do better. Totally. We're talking about a group of businesses, indeed an industry, mm-hmm. uh, that if you did just this, made these tweaks, suddenly this whole tourism industry, and this is where I think you can start to see this play out in real terms. Uh, this lofty 2030 strategy, carbon neutrality, which sounds kind of fluffy but no one quite gets it. Totally. Suddenly you can see the pragmatic uh, tactical steps to achieving that. And the thing is, you know, and everyone knows this, um, within the tourism industry there are so many emissions associated with the tourism industry's footprint that sit outside that industry specifically. It can come down to, you know, travel. The, the buses people might be using or the, you know, how they're getting around. It's agriculture. Mm. It's where are we getting the the produce that we're feeding to these tourists in our establishments and yep. in our companies. And so a lot of the time we say, oh, it's like really complicated. This is complicated, mm. you know. Resolving the supply chain issues, working across industries is a complicated thing. Actually doing this stuff properly and having an impact, and an impact means we have tangibly reduced the amount of carbon in the atmosphere from yeah. a, from our perspective. Yeah. And so we say, like, let's not pretend that it is super simple, but let's all just use one kind of platform yep. gathering the data so yep. that we can use technology to help us identify what actually does need to move. Yep. And we say, you know, sometimes, like you say, it's small tweaks, but sometimes it's like an entire on 
on-farm practice that needs to change. So what we help them do is say, here's the example from this part of the world. It worked well there. This is what they spent. This is what the cost is. This is who can help you. Here's the business case to actually tangibly change. And if you do, our data shows that every single restaurant in Tassie and every single hotel in Tassie will see a reduction in their footprint. So let's bring those stakeholders in and let's make this happen. That's what we are here to do. Great. And so so you mentioned you're working with all of these different industries. How does the tourism industry stack up at the moment in <laughs> terms of our performance? So good. It's so fun working with the tourism industry. I mean... We know we, Yeah, you guys, are, <laughs> you guys are a whole different piece. Um, we come from more of a, um, a heavy industry background and, you know, the miners are great, yeah, but yeah. Um, there's not so much creativity perhaps <laughs> is what we're seeing in tourism. So the thing that's really crazy to us, even when we went through the 30, most people are already on solar. A decent percentage are already got a hybrid or they're looking for an EV. Most of them are already making super conscious decisions. And most of them are offering very authentic, sustainable experiences. If I think of something like Blue Derby Pods, you know, we're using solar, it's rainwater, we're using local produce. The building materials have been really consciously chosen. And so we're sort of saying, gosh, you guys have a huge advantage here. Mm. If you have the confidence in your data and we strip away any of that fear of, oh, am I greenwashing? Because, yeah, I've done this good thing, but what's happening down here? If we can strip that away and be like, you know your numbers, you have a really authentic, sustainable experience, to us that's the huge opportunity. Yeah. Now, isn't that the interesting piece here, I think? Opportunity. Talking about this as opportunity versus talking about it as simply doing the right thing. So obviously there is a whole mm-hmm. um, body of rationale around this, which is we should be doing this mm-hmm. anyway, you know. For sure. But of course it is an opportunity because the market is so hyper-conscious and socially aware yep. of wanting to um, ethically uh, purchase and source experiences that those that are doing this well have that competitive business advantage. For sure. And, you know, we come at it from that perspective. Like, sure, there's a couple of eco-warriors in our team, <laughs> uh, but largely they're, they're accountants and they're analysts. And so the mindset is very much like, okay, baseline, we all know this is a good thing to do, but like whatever, that aside, what is the business case? And that really lends itself to what is the opportunity? What is the return on investment? What is the growth? How do I meet a market? What can I actually do that meets expectations and moves the dial on carbon from the atmosphere? So everything we do is looked through that lens because we know that's what it takes to to make a move, for, yep. for a business to make a conscious decision. Yeah, great. So the outcomes then of this project, uh, have we determined what are the opportunities for emissions reduction? Yeah, it's really exciting. So we're going through the depth of tracing through that, you know, 4,000 now to mm-hmm. really understand that. But what we are seeing is, you know, Tassie businesses use Tassie businesses. So a lot of the time one, you know, hotel or tour company is using, you know, three or four other Tassie tourism companies as part of their offering or part of their product. So the opportunity to look at each other's once we have that data is is huge. The other thing is anyone touching food, you know, which is a lot of us, end up in an agriculture sense, the same as um, viticulture, the same as the wineries. So we see this huge opportunity to be the link between agriculture and what that means for, for tourism. 
and the actual operators themselves. And then we're seeing some key suppliers across industry that are used everywhere. So if I think of hotels, everyone's using the same type of laundry provider, Mm -hmm. for example. So we're starting to see the opportunity to reach out there. And it's not a big stick like, oh, this is what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. It's really saying, hey, what would it take for this to stack up from you in a business case sense? And then can we rally the troops in your supply chain to contribute to that? And that's going to be the really exciting second step here. And the piece that I don't, forgive me if you have already touched on this, but when we were talking about the support that you offer beyond just getting in touch, you have a fund? Yes. So, um, so Ellis Richmond, who we say our, our carbon accounting firm, um, Local Carbon, the technology we use to make that happen. Ellis Richmond um, put 5% of all of our revenue into a sustainability fund. And so that's been on this really practical basis that we're like, okay, a lot of the opportunities we're going to identify, particularly for small, medium businesses, like reality is they could probably Google that that's a good thing to do. And like, awesome, we've got some evidence and, and some of it ends up more complicated. But at the end of the day, stuff comes down to budget. And so if they don't have the budget to go and invest in that electrified stove or that EV or whatever it is that's been identified, you kind of hit a wall. So this fund exists and there's around 65,000 in that at the moment. And no doubt some of that will be deployed across the tourism businesses that we're working with where it's like, okay, we can move the dial a bit here. It might cost 10 grand. You don't have 10 grand. Let's, Let's just do it. And that's really the philosophy there. Yep. Now, when you spoke at the West by Northwest Forum back in June, uh, we had a lot of contact from a lot of operators straight after that said, this sounds amazing. How can we get involved? Mm. Just anticipating a similar response to, the, <laughs> yeah. to, to this uh, session this morning. Yeah. What's, what's the answer? How can they get involved? Yeah, the, the thing that we've done to really try and make this even more accessible. Previously, it was like, come to us and we'll do your carbon accounting for you. And we charge, you know, between whatever it was, 3000 to 30000 to do that based largely on how big you are in yep. the revenue sense. Now we're saying, right, you want to be part of that? Great. Go to Local Carbon, register that interest. We'll say, hey, let's check if your accountant wants to help you and yep. make this normal. So yep. now it's like, okay, I'm going to pay. $79 for a local carbon subscription and my accountant is going to help me do this. And the accountant will charge you know, whatever they decide, whatever's reasonable for you. Just the same way you go and get your accountant to help with your tax return, you yep. can now go to your accountant and say, hey, do my carbon footprint each year, please. Yep. This is really important to us. So we want to remove this concept that it's this big consulting firm that has to come in. Like this has to be normal. Yep. Your accountant already has the data. This yep. is the cheapest way we can do it. This is the highest quality way we can do it. We're not relying on like just your inputs, which might be accurate, but a lot of stats come out and say they won't be. So if we've got a third party eye on that, doing that really well, we have this high quality data your accountant will do your assessment and we will ping you with the opportunities on how you can reduce. Fantastic. And we will put some uh, detail with this podcast online so that people can find out exactly how they can get involved. Um, Now, obviously those were some very uh, in-depth questions about the extraordinary work you do, but none of those (laughs) are nearly as important as what's coming next. (laughs) For Talking Tourism Big Seven. Jessica Richmond, your favourite spot in Tasmania and why? Oh, I'm going to say Penguin, which is a little oh, seaside man. town. I've got my homewares, <laughs> I've got my little supermarket at the Penguin Pantry, got the beach, got my coffee, got the dog beach. Like it's just such a perfect little spot. Couldn't agree more. 
your favourite travel destination anywhere in the world? Steel Penguin. Steel Penguin, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, anywhere in the world. Um, I spent a lot of time um, on exchange and then backwards and forwards in Italy. So I would have to say that um, the Verona region of Italy feels like second home. So I'd have to say there. Okay. Uh, can I ask why? Is that what is it, what is it about Verona? Um, well, the family that is there. So when I was sixteen. Yeah. Um, I went from Yola District High School to Italy, <laughs> naturally, randomly enough, <laughs> and that family just looked after me so well. And so the experiences, the food, the culture—it's just amazing. Yeah, terrific. Someone coming to Tasmania for the very first time in their lives, mm. who's obviously been hiding under a rock, <laughs> asks you what's the one thing they absolutely must experience while they're here. What do you tell them? They have to come during Dark Mofo. It's just a given. I, I should be an ambassador. The amount of <laughs> friends I have pulled interstate to like be here for this week yep. and every time everyone's like, wow, Tasmania is insane. Yep. It's a very special experience, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You're walking the overland track for five days with three other people, anyone in the world, famous, not so famous, living or past. Who and why? Toughest question. Because you're going, you you can make or lose friends on this. You really can. This is this is a question that people should judge other people on for (laughs) sure. Um, I'm going to say first one. um, My my grandma just passed away, and she's just the best person in the world. So she's coming back for the overland tour. Mike Cannon-Brooks, he's coming, absolute visionary in this space and I think he'd like Nanny as well, so yeah. they'd get along really well. Like the third one, it's going to sound a bit wanky, but I feel like at the moment we are in pretty insane times. Like stuff is pretty horrific mm. um, globally at the moment, which feels very heavy to me at the moment. So I would bring along somebody who's been through this and for me it's like uh, a Nelson Mandela of the world is, is insane as that might sound, Mm. you know, I just think we've never been in a more divided time. And so I think having Nanny, (laughs) Mike Cannon-Brooks and Nelson strolling the overland. Just an obvious trio. Yeah, I'm coming out a better human being (laughs) at the end of that. (laughs) (laughs) You really are. And what you won't know is that I'll be sort of a few pages behind just listening intently. Who is that weird guy (laughs) in the shrubs? I can give Nanny the shuffle along. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, great. So you're road tripping around Tasmania. Mm-hmm. What are you listening to in the car? Um, I am a bit of a podcast person. So we constantly listen to Guy Raz, How I Built This. Right. Lots of stories of just insane people that decided they were going to do something ridiculous um, and that journey. So listen that's that. what I'm listening to. I think uh, what just meant to say was that she's listening to the Talking Tourism <laughs> and podcast that, series. And that, yeah, definitely. <laughs> And when you arrive at your destination, what's your tipple of choice? Um, I, I'm a gin fizz girl. So <laughs> it's that with a Tassie gin or it's a Pinot Noir. Okay, terrific. And the final uh, most daunting question of the set, mm. curried Tasmanian scallops, a culinary delight or a culinary crime? Oh, I've got my dad's voice in my head for this one. <laughs> <laughs> I... I feel like I would be shunned from the Northwest if I didn't say culinary delight. Okay. <laughs> don't, you know, I, I'm really sensing some pressure just yeah. piling on you there. I don't know if that's yeah, a real answer. Yeah, society is really <laughs> beaming down on me for that one. Delight, delight. We'll go with delight. It's another tick for delight <laughs> and uh, a big tick for everything that you're doing as well, Jess. Thank you so much for being with us today and thank you for all that you're doing. It really is an exciting space, such an important space, as we said, both from a market opportunity but for doing the right thing and for Tasmania to be at the forefront of that and having uh, a 
bright young mind like yours with all the energy that you and your team have and I know you have an extraordinarily we impressive do. team around you. We Those really guys do. are amazing. So thank you to what you're doing and uh, thanks for being here this morning. No, thank you. Cheers, Jess. Ta. And thank you all for listening to today's episode of Talking Tourism. Remember to subscribe to hear more episodes as we release them every two weeks or so. Also remember to tell a friend or tourism colleague to check out our podcasts. Talking Tourism is an initiative of Tourism Industry Council Tasmania and today's episode was brought to you with the support of our partner, the Department of State Growth. A big thanks also to Caleb Miller at Mac40, our audio specialist who produces these episodes. I'm your host, Tom Wooden, and we'll catch up next time.